Hi, you're listening to Power to the People, a monthly podcast about social justice movements from Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, produced in partnership with Lexington Community Radio. We're glad you're here. Let's get started. Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, and this is our vision. We are working for a day when Kentuckians and all people enjoy a better quality of life. When the lives of people and communities matter before profits. When our communities have good jobs that support our families without doing damage to the water, air, and land. When companies and the wealthy pay their share of taxes and can't buy elections. When all people have health care, shelter, food, education, and other basic needs. When children are listened to and valued. When discrimination is wiped out of our laws, habits, and hearts. And when the voices of ordinary people are heard and respected in our democracy. That's Bowling Green resident Drew Eberhardt speaking at a rally for LGBT equality in Bowling Green this past February. Drew was a student at Western Kentucky University and, shortly after graduation, landed a sweet job at a company he loved in Bowling Green. He worked there for two years, made friends with his coworkers, found his job to be fulfilling, challenging, and altogether enjoyable. He was praised for his work, but then new management moved in. I was called a sissy, a girl. I was referred to as a rainbow. And all of this occurred within the first week of my new boss taking over at the company. These statements were made not only in front of my colleagues, my friends, as well as clients. And I will never forget how embarrassing and how ashamed I felt when these statements were made. Drew is a gay man. Under new management, he was harassed on the regular. All of a sudden, his dream job didn't feel so cozy anymore. In 2011, I could not do it anymore. I resigned from my position with the company. While Drew wasn't technically fired, he says he felt forced out of the company just for being an openly gay man. In a city like Bowling Green, Kentucky, it's perfectly legal to be fired for being gay. For that matter, it's also perfectly legal for a landlord to deny housing to someone, even if they're thought to be gay or transgendered. So often, I was told, it gets better. True, it gets better. But for me, it did not get better. So obviously we know that you can't fire someone for a job or kick them out of their home for being, say, African-American or because they use a wheelchair. That's because the National Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibits discrimination based on a number of protected classes, race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. It has since been amended to include veteran status, citizenship, age, and ability as well. 
But what the National Civil Rights Act doesn't include are sexual orientation and gender identity. So it's up to states to decide if they'd like to include those in their own civil rights laws. As of February 2017, 22 states have chosen to include these protected classes. Kentucky is not one of them. Today on our program, we look at the movement for LGBT equality right here in Kentucky. We'll hear stories from the state capitol, from the front lines of the fight for fairness in Bowling Green, and from townships in central and eastern Kentucky who have passed a fairness ordinance to great success. Today on Power to the People with Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. In Kentucky, the movement for LGBT equality is referred to as the Fairness Movement. And the story goes that they were, they had all come together in a living room and were trying to come up with a name and somebody said, what are we going to call this Fairness Campaign or something? And it stuck. That's Chris Hartman, director of the Fairness Campaign in Kentucky. Which is Kentucky's LGBTQ civil rights organization. Uh, And we also have long focused on dismantling systemic racism as well. The Fairness Campaign emerged out of the LGBT equality movement of the 1990s. In 1999, Louisville became the first city in Kentucky to pass a fairness ordinance prohibiting discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Lexington soon followed suit. Since 1999, six other cities in Kentucky have passed local fairness ordinances that protect members of the LGBT community. Really, we're, we're aiming to eventually have a statewide fairness law that would extend discrimination protections across the board. All it does is update Kentucky's Civil Rights Act to include four simple words, sexual orientation and gender identity, among race, class, color, r- religion, national origin, disability status, age. Um, in Kentucky, there's even smoking status protections. Um, but we don't have sexual orientation and gender identity to include LGBT folks. Again, in those three in areas of discrimination, employment, housing, and public accommodations. So today, in most of the state and in 27 other states, you can still fire someone from a job or deny them a place to live or kick them out of your restaurant if you think that they're lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. The fight for Kentucky to adopt a statewide fairness ordinance has been a long one and will continue to be for the foreseeable future, says Chris. But for this legislative session, there's plenty of anti-LGBT legislation to keep supporters of fairness busy. The session began in January with three pre-filed anti-LGBT bills. Love this legislative session. Um, We started with three anti-LGBT bills, um, two bathroom bills, one that targets public restrooms across the state, one that targets just students in public schools, the other one would also cover public schools, and then uh, a license to discriminate bill, uh, which would take away um, the enforcement mechanisms of the fairness ordinances in the eight Kentucky cities that have them. One of these bills, House Bill 106, also known as the bathroom bill, gained a lot of attention at the beginning of the session. If this sounds familiar, that's because it's a near copy of North Carolina's House Bill 2, which gained national attention when it passed swiftly through the Carolina legislature. Soon after, big acts like Bruce Springsteen began boycotting the state altogether. 
North Carolina lost a number of big-ticket sporting events like the NBA All-Star Game and the ACC Football Championship. If you're not familiar with this piece of legislation, House Bill 2 denies transgender people the right to use public restrooms that match their gender identity. That's any public restrooms. So this year in Kentucky, a similar bill was filed by a Democrat. First of all, we introduced the bill not to harm anybody, but we introduced this legislation as the result of requests from, from some of our local citizens that had a concern. That's State Representative Rick Nelson, the Democrat who filed House Bill 106. I represent two counties, Bell County and Harlan County. In past years, bills similar to House Bill 106 have been filed by Republicans like Senator C.B. Embry from Morgantown. So Rick Nelson really claims this is a bipartisan issue. You know, the other side's always pushed these issues, and now they're backing away from them. And I guess he's not wrong. Here's Chris Hartman again, statewide director of the Fairness Campaign. What we see in Kentucky is the bipartisanship of this issue. We have tremendous bipartisan opposition in the state. Um, but we also see some bipartisan support. Last year, for the first time ever, statewide fairness laws were introduced with Republican co-sponsors. We're definitely seeing a movement. The fact that this bathroom bill was filed by a Democrat this year sort of gets at a bigger narrative of the legislative session. Again, to remind you, this year 17 Democratic seats went Republican in the Kentucky State House. Republicans are enjoying a comfy supermajority in Frankfurt, and Democrats are doing things like, well, filing anti-LGBT legislation. If you're somehow not shocked by this, just for context, 15 states nationwide filed bills this session that would restrict access to bathrooms for transgender individuals. And I'm sure you can see where this is going. All of those bills were sponsored by Republicans. Every one of them except Kentucky's. Which brings us back to North Carolina, the one that got all that attention last year. Now, a lot of that conversation was about justice and doing the right thing, but a lot of it was also about money. In Kentucky, it's no different with House Bill 106. So let's dig into the numbers. Now, according to North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory's administration, their bathroom bill did nothing to hurt North Carolina's economy. In fact, last year, North Carolina Commerce Secretary John Scavarla stated that as far as the state's economic health is concerned, House Bill 2, quote, hasn't moved the needle one iota. But what does it mean, really, to say that legislation loses money for the state? There are lots of different ways we can measure the economic health of a state, for example, jobs gained and jobs lost. So we know that no major companies have said they've come to North Carolina because of House Bill 2, so no jobs gained there. But in terms of jobs lost, both PayPal and Deutsche Bank canceled almost 700 jobs in North Carolina in protest of House Bill 2. Additionally, CoStar Group, a real estate analytics firm, announced shortly after the passage of House Bill 2 that they were bringing 730 jobs to Richmond, Virginia jobs that were originally scheduled to go to Charlotte, North Carolina, but went to Virginia instead explicitly because of House Bill 2, according to the Charlotte Business Journal. So there's jobs lost or jobs not gained, I guess you could say, but we can also measure the impact of House Bill 2 through tourism dollars. Of course, there was some anecdotal evidence on social media that folks were moving their vacations in protest, but there's no real way to measure that. 
The real story here is with major conferences, sporting events, and concerts that pulled out of North Carolina after the passage of House Bill 2. The Charlotte Chamber of Commerce, for example, estimates that it lost $100 million when the NBA moved its All-Star game, and $30 million with the loss of the ACC Football Championship. When Bruce Springsteen canceled his show in Greensboro, 15,000 ticket holders were refunded and estimates for this loss are around $700,000. It's not hard to follow the money here and pretty clearly see that North Carolina lost hundreds of millions of dollars as a result of this bill. Of course, if you ask Representative Rick Nelson about this, he says, North Carolina is doing just fine, thank you very much. We did a couple of studies on the economic impact and we've had some folks North Carolina contact us and actually according to I think Forbes magazine and I think that's probably a, a pretty good business magazine they're actually saying that that North Carolina uh, is doing better than ever uh, I think they have surpassed all their receipts and stuff so if it has hurt North Carolina uh, the numbers that we saw in the Forbes magazine didn't reflect that you know other than losing the ball games in a concert I'm sure that the city's that's a big deal to them. But overall, they're doing, they're doing better than they did uh, when this came out. The headline of the Forbes article Representative Nelson is referring to here, I'm pretty sure, reads, North Carolina's bathroom bill has flushed away $630 million in lost business. In it, Forbes breaks down exactly where those estimates came from, so I'm really unsure how anyone could believe that North Carolina didn't suffer economically from House Bill 2. We sent them a flyer that said discrimination doesn't dribble and cites the Forbes number. And if Rick Nelson thinks the Commonwealth can handle a 630 plus million dollar blow, I think he's going to have some owning up to do to the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce and the other chambers across the state and the tourism industry, all of which are on the record opposing this type of legislation because it's absurd. I don't know about you, but being a Kentuckian, um, I like college basketball, and discrimination doesn't dribble. I mean, that, at the end of the day, is what the message has been loud and clear, even from the professional sports community, but also from the corporate community, which has stepped up uh, just in the past year and a half in the Kentucky Competitive Workforce Coalition, which folks can uh, visit kycompetitiveworkforce.com to view the more than 200 Kentucky employers who have signed on to support a statewide fairness law and to say, look, this type of of North Carolina-like discriminatory legislation is going to do nothing but damage our commonwealth. It's bad for business. It's bad for Kentucky. Another bill introduced by Rick Nelson this session was House Bill 105, or the Religious Freedom Bill. It says, no law or court shall supersede, quote, a person's right of conscience to stand by religious beliefs, which ostensibly allows business owners to discriminate against LGBT individuals, even in cities with a fairness ordinance in place. I should also say that, again, Representative Nelson just doesn't believe this is true. Here's what he had to say when I asked him what would happen to local fairness ordinances under House Bill 105. I don't, uh, I don't agree with your assessment of it. I know that's your opinion of it. But, uh, of course, this bill was filed, I think, last year in the Senate and passed the Senate overwhelmingly, maybe by Senator Robinson from Laurel County. And uh, you can double-check that, but I believe that's correct. Um, so it was a very popular bill then. In 2016, Republican Senator Al Robinson did introduce the same bill, which he called, quote, 
a common sense live and let live measure. Senator Robinson said that the bill was a response to one of those famous altercations where a business refused to serve a gay organization. It was a t-shirt printing shop here in Lexington who refused to print shirts for Pride in 2012. Now, it's true that this isn't a situation where someone is losing their job or their housing, but the bill doesn't really discern between the two. It just says that, quote, no statute, regulation, ordinance, order, judgment, or other law or action by any court or other public agency shall impede one's right to religious expression. Uh, all we were trying to do is to give some of the business owners some say-so over their own business, and that's the way I looked at it. Nothing else to discriminate, but if you own a business and you pay the rent, you pay the electric, you pay the wages for the help, you know, maybe you ought to have some say-so over uh, some things. Now, we're not talking about the, uh, uh, for people sitting down and having a meal or things like that, but, but there were some issues, I think, at some of the bakeries and different things like that. And this was just a protection in the way I looked at it uh, for the business owners. Recently, and somewhat ironically, Speaker Jeff Hoover has declared Bills 105 and 106 dead. Governor Matt Bevan even said transgender bathroom bills are silly and unnecessary since they address a non-existent problem. Thankfully, House Bill 105 and 106 won't be showing up in committee during the 2017 legislative session. But there's still plenty of time for next year. We don't expect those bills to be moving forward this year, though we hear that they will get more consideration in 2018. So we've got to really start gearing up for that. This February, the Fairness Coalition held its largest rally ever at the state capitol. Folks showed up from all over the state to support LGBT equality. I spoke with Magnolia Gramling, who came from Bowling Green to spend three days in Frankfurt. Is this your first time in Frankfurt? It is, yes. Uh, first time as an adult. I came for Girl Scouts once. Oh. <laughs> what was your perception of uh, the Kentucky Capitol coming in to today? It seems really intimidating, and you see these people's faces like in the news, or maybe you don't see them in the news, which is even more intimidating, and you're supposed to find them and try and get their attention, and it seems like it's going to be more daunting than it actually ends up being. It's a, they're very accessible. Um, I think everyone that's fighting for justice in America right now is sort of looking for a meeting to go to and a way to uh, be a part of something that's already been around for so long. And so I think it's good to see everyone coming out, and I want to be part of it instead of just watching it happen. At the rally in the Capitol Rotunda, folks wearing bright rainbow socks stood next to folks wearing sharp, dark blue suits next to folks wrapped in the blue, pink, and white of the transgender flag. The lineup featured speakers from Appalachia, from the faith community, from big cities, and from elected representatives. The Day for Fairness was also full of grassroots citizen lobbying. After the rally, I spoke with an activist from Louisville who spent the morning meeting with her legislators. In what I can only imagine were some pretty difficult interactions. Hi, my name's Rebecca Grant. I am on the Political Actions Committee for the Fairness Campaign. This morning we started out with a little introduction and I at that point departed with some college students and took them around to legislators and helped them with how to lobby, some tips, and we met with their legislator and I helped them stay positive through some troubling comments. Did you feel personally attacked? Yes, I did feel personally attacked. Um, Following being discharged from the Army for being queer, um, it was very personal. 
Mm-hmm. When was that? That was in 2011. But I've learned how to go through it. It's these younger kids that I worry about. The movement for fairness statewide is a pretty compelling story. According to a 2011 survey by the Shapiro Group, 83% of Kentuckians support fairness, up from 65% in 2004. Still, it looks like a statewide ordinance is a ways off. For now, the movement for fairness is playing out on a local level. Again, here's Chris Hartman. I mean, all the best moments are the moments where we've had success. Uh, and, And success in whatever way we measure it, because in civil rights work, you know, the two steps forward, one step back. It is a long journey. And what happened in Bowling Green recently was a tremendous success. What happened? They didn't talk about it, but it got proposed. And it's like, that was a huge victory. That was, you know, the most recent five years in the making, but then on back to 1999 when it first got, intru- you know, first got brought up by the Human Rights Commission there. So just to get one city commissioner to talk about it. Victory! The quiet moments are the ones that are the best because it's it's people doing what they know is right, what they feel is right, and not making a big deal about it. And being responsive to their constituencies. Currently, there are big conversations about a local fairness ordinance happening in Georgetown, which is not far from Lexington, and Bowling Green, the third largest city in the state, and who we'll hear more about later in our show. We're excited about the grassroots movements all across the state, and we want more of them to start. Um, And to be patient with us as well, we're only two employees working the entire state, but uh, we're doing so with an incredible passion and belief that, you know, communities can lead themselves to victory. And our goal is just to, you know, share what we've learned in, in other places and to help provide resources so the communities can achieve the victories that they want. Um, And, you know, w- with that that framework, we've nearly tripled the number of cities in Kentucky with fairness ordinances just in the past several years. So I expect to see that continue, and I hope folks will join the movement. That was Chris Hartman, director of the statewide fairness campaign in Kentucky. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll look at the fight for fairness in Bowling Green. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Eric Dixon from the Letcher County Chapter of Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. Stay up to date with our episodes of Power to the People by subscribing to the show on iTunes. Find the show by searching KFTC in iTunes or the podcast app. It just takes a few seconds and you'll be automatically updated when a new episode is available. Thanks. Welcome back to Power to the People. This week you're with Kentuckians for the Commonwealth and we're looking at the movement for fairness across Kentucky. If you're just joining us, we've been talking this hour about the fairness campaign statewide and what has been going on in Frankfurt for LGBTQ rights at the state level. But you may recall in our previous segment, Director Chris Hartman talking also about how another part of the fairness campaign strategy is winning fairness ordinances at the local level. So in this segment, we're going to Western Kentucky. So it's 1999. 
I'm totally crushing it in the fifth grade, and the fairness movement is just beginning in Kentucky. Louisville becomes the first municipality in Kentucky to pass a fairness ordinance, followed shortly thereafter by Lexington and Henderson, whose was inevitably repealed. In that same year, the Bowling Green Human Rights Commission proposed an ordinance too. They began public discussion, garnered support, convened public hearings, and that's pretty much as far as they got. I remember writing my first letter. I still have a copy in my files about why we need a fairness ordinance in Bowling Green. That's Dr. Patty Minter. She's a faculty member in the history department at Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green. She's been a volunteer for the fairness campaign in Bowling Green since the beginning. And I still feel the same way. It's 2017 and it's 18 years later and we still don't have one. And there's nothing I wrote then that I wouldn't write now. Dr. Minter, like many others in 1999, came out in support of a fairness ordinance in Bowling Green. But nothing really happened. What happened was the Human Rights Commission voted after lengthy debate and lots of testimony and lots of letters. They voted to suggest to city commission that they move forward with a fairness ordinance and then nothing happened. The city commission simply ignored them and erased them. And that was where the the fairness ordinance was in Bowling Green until 2011 when we began another push to enact a fairness ordinance in the wake of WKU's victory in domestic partner benefits in 2010. So the issue of domestic partner benefits at WKU was a huge step for Bowling Green in 2010. Of course, this technically only affected employees at the university, but what happened was a contingency of folks at Western, including Dr. Minter, who is the faculty regent at the time, pushed for WKU to expand employee benefits to domestic partners, something a lot of universities were on the forefront of way before nationwide marriage equality was on the table. It was an exciting win for faculty, but symbolically for students too, because they organized to support it. And they won. And it's with that momentum that the fairness campaign began to work again in Bowling Green. Bowling Green Fairness started up again in 2011. In 2013, the Fairness Campaign hired a part-time organizer, and they've been meeting monthly ever since. And here we are, almost four years later, after a year of sitting in, in nonviolent direct action at City Commission, uh, after a successful pub crawl that that garnered over a thousand signatures for fairness in 2015, after the most successful campaign in the state organizing businesses to say that fairness is good for business, uh, organizers for Bowling Green Fairness have organized over 100 businesses. It's been a pretty incredible grassroots effort to get a fairness ordinance passed in this city. So I'm sure you're wondering what is holding this up in Bowling Green. The third largest city in the state of Kentucky, Bowling Green is in a unique position to move forward on LGBTQ equality. But why is it such a process? Well, the short version is that, like many smaller or mid-sized towns, it's a cultural problem. Again, Dr. Patty Minter. Bowling Green, historically, is a city that doesn't like to shake things up. Uh, For example, Bowling Green, after Brown versus Board of Education in 1954, opened a segregated high school, High Street School. 
and tried to you know, argue that separate but equal was somehow compliant with Brown, but that wasn't even challenged until the 1960s. So there, the cultural aspect of all of this is that people in power, people who have a lot of privilege, tend to act in ways that they don't think will be challenged by marginalized groups in the city. And that has historically been true. And there has not been an attempt to challenge that on LGBT rights until the movement reinvigorated in 2011. Again, in some places, when uh, in 1999, when fairness ordinances were brought up, there were a lot of places that you know had a vigorous debate before they voted them down. Some places then passed them subsequently. There have been spirited debates all over the state. Frankfurt, Danville, for example, they passed fairness ordinances, but they weren't unanimous votes. Other places like Moorhead, unanimous vote. I mean, the president of the university testified before city commission and said this is the right thing to do. But Bowling Green's way of dealing with this has been to ignore and erase the fairness movement instead of engaging on the issue. Uh, in city commissioner debates, uh, commission candidates who were reelected to positions made the argument that well, we don't need this. Um, or they say, well, these rights are already protected, or this might lead to more lawsuits. And those seem to be viewed by some as legitimate reasons not to proceed. But the fairness movement would argue something different. The, the fairness movement, which is the continuation of the long civil rights movement that began in the mid-20th century, would argue until all of us have rights, then none of us have rights. And discrimination is discrimination, period. So the Bowling Green City Commission would not budge, and by that I mean would not even acknowledge the existence of the movement. Folks from the Fairness Campaign began showing up at City Commission meetings. In fact, they were there to speak during the public comment section at every single City Commission meeting in 2016. James Line, a student at Western Kentucky University, was one of the dozens of constituents who showed up to testify during that time. I spoke with him at a City Commission meeting in February. About a year ago, we started sort of our present um, sort of signature initiative, which is basically having a speaker speak at every city commission meeting. Um, and that was, uh, I believe, in January of last year is when we started doing that. Um, I have spoken uh, twice. Um, a lot of just regular business owners, members of the community, moms, dads, professors, teachers have come forward and spoken at, to the city commission. Uh, during the public comments section of those, of those meetings about why they support fairness. And that's something we've been doing at every single meeting since uh, the beginning of last year. And I think it's really paid off. The first time I did it, I spoke about, I, I just spoke by myself, and I was spoke um, about my personal experience being gay uh, growing up um, in sort of a conservative small town and the difficulties of that and the, the impact that that had on my friendship uh, with various people and just the, the, the challenges of navigating that and then coming here and, and wishing that this community that I have been in for the past three and a half years uh, and that I you know, would, wouldn't mind staying in and, and continuing to work in, wishing that that community uh, was accepting and, and not just in, in its people, um, but in its laws. And uh, the second time I did it, I spoke as part of a series of speakers. We spoke about the business uh, support for fairness and how it's really good for business here in our community, how we have so much tremendous business support among local businesses and small businesses, and how this is something that a lot of people um, in Bowling Green uh, have really rallied behind. 
It's no secret that WKU students don't stick around Bowling Green for long. I was a student there myself for quite a while and had to adjust to my friends leaving town all the time. Obviously, there are lots of reasons for that, but I think what James is getting at is, why are we not doing everything we can to make Bowling Green as great as we think it could be? So Bowling Green Fairness started showing up and kept showing up and, of course, kept getting flat out ignored. Here's Dr. Minter again. We began sitting in at City Commission in nonviolent direct action a year ago and having speakers speaking in public comment. And I think many of the people who came and spoke were really surprised that their comments were not acknowledged and that there has been no attempt by city officials, except for Commissioner Nash, to engage with the fairness movement and to have any kind of real discussion about why people perceive the need for LGBTQ rights in Bowling Green. Um, so that's a, that's a really interesting cultural problem, the idea that somehow if you ignore something, it will go away. Uh, but this has not gone away, and the grassroots movement has grown strong. And I think commissioners may be very surprised to understand the depth and the breadth of the support for this movement. There was one exchange last year between Commissioner Joe Denning and a member of the community who identifies as trans, and he challenged the person who spoke about their lived experience and their belief that they needed to have rights that were protected, the same as everyone else's. And um, the commissioner's response was literally disbelief that this person really? You don't feel like you're protected? You don't have rights? Why do you think you don't have rights? And it was a complete failure to engage in any meaningful way with the realities of people's lived experience and frankly with the letter of the law which has a pretty two pretty clear omissions at this point. With the 2016 election on the horizon it was time to start thinking about what they could achieve with new commissioners in office. Both Bowling Green Fairness and Kentuckians for the Commonwealth endorsed the only three candidates who explicitly ran on a fairness platform. That's Ryan Fulkerson, Nate Morgulin, and Andrew Manley. None of those candidates won their elections, but as it turns out, we found a spot of hope in one new commissioner. A fourth person who was elected to commission, Commissioner Slim Nash, pledged that he would introduce fairness ordinance in the first 60 days after his swearing in. And tomorrow he makes good on that promise. And he's introducing the fairness ordinance, which is now posted on the city commission's agenda. Slim Nash was a city commissioner in Bowling Green from 2004 to 2010. Since then, he's run a couple of unsuccessful campaigns, but finally made it back to commission this year. Commissioner Nash is a super approachable, laid-back guy, the kind of guy who makes it easy to believe his heart is in the right place. He has a background working with family courts, and he talks a lot about juvenile drug abuse and community-based treatment. So, in other words, investing in social programs rather than isolating minors in secure facilities. And during his first few terms in city commission, he was the driving force behind creating a skate park in Bowling Green. But when he ran in 2016, he wasn't necessarily on board with fairness from the get-go. 
the moment that many of us realized that Commissioner Nash or that then candidate Nash was going to be a real ally was at a town hall forum where all of the candidates were asked lots of questions. It was downtown, sponsored by the uh, Downtown Redevelopment Authority. And they were asked to do just some, you know, quick questions like, are you for this or against this? Thumbs up or thumbs down? And in something that I think really is going to become an iconic image from the movement, Commissioner Nash, much to our great joy, put his thumb up on the fairness ordinance. And we would have been delighted had he put his thumb up earlier. And uh, I'm sure that we would have been happy to endorse him. But he... uh, but he's made good on that promise. He gave an interview shortly after his election, said, I'm going to introduce a fairness ordinance in the first 60 days. And he has been a wonderful, wonderful commissioner to work with. It has been a model of how grassroots social movements and members of local government can work together to get something done. And I'd love to get it done. I'd love to get this done in the next two city commission meetings because ordinances are two reading items. So this is the first reading on February the 21st. There would be another reading later if the result is good tomorrow. But I really don't doubt that he will stay with this. And he's shown that he's deeply committed. He's listening. And I think he's learned a lot about the lived experience of people who live daily with the threats and the damage that are done by discrimination. For folks in Bowling Green who had been working for fairness since the 90s, this was huge. It was literally the first time they had even been acknowledged by a city commissioner. And it took decades. It is a historic day for the fairness movement. February 21st, 2017 will go down as a historic day, as the day that we first saw a fairness ordinance in Bowling Green. And it will be introduced... And what happens tomorrow is anybody's guess, but it is absolutely a watershed moment in the history of this movement. So it's February 21st, 2017. Hundreds of folks have gathered at the City Hall for the Commission meeting to support Slim Nash and the Fairness Ordinance. We're all crammed in the lobby because the meeting chambers were packed. Caught up with James Line, who we heard from earlier. So, what does this day mean to you? <laughs> it's amazing. Um, <laughs> it's to me, it, it's just the beginning. I think in a lot of ways of of Bowling Green moving in a really um, positive direction for uh, equality and for fairness. We don't know whether or not it's going to pass today, uh, or whether it's going, to, or whether it's going to move on to the next meeting to, to, to a second hearing. And if it passes, then I don't know. The reality is that we don't have. A lot of votes currently in the city commission uh, that are very supportive of fairness. Um, that might that may change, uh, but we'll see. Um, but regardless of what happens today, I think it's important for people to recognize that we're in this for the long haul, and this is just the beginning of um, what will hopefully be the end of legal discrimination here in Bowling Green for the LGBT community. So folks were crowded in the foyer watching the meeting on TV. Congratulations, corrections. Please call the roll. Williams? Yes. Denning? Yes. Nash? Yes. Perigen? Yes. Wilkerson? Yes. And our regular the Fairness Ordinance was last on the agenda, and to no one's surprise, 
Commissioner Nash's motion was met with silence from the mayor and the other three members of commission. Ordinance amending code of ordinances, ordinance amending chapters 2, administration, 14 housing, and 17 personnel policies of the city of Bowling Green Code. No one seconded the move to vote, and so it was slated for discussion two weeks later. Uh, I move city staff uh, that ordinance number BG 2017-5 be placed on the March 7, 2017 working meeting agenda for further discussion. Second on the floor, so that's the last item on our agenda. Our next scheduled meeting is March 7th. One of the really interesting pieces of this story lies in those other four voting members. That is, the three commissioners and the mayor. Now, two of them, Mayor Bruce Wilkerson and Commissioner Joe Denning, have been in Bowling Green politics for, like, ever, and are both staunch libertarians, so their silence on this issue hasn't necessarily been a huge surprise to anyone. Rick Williams has been on the Bowling Green City Commission since 2013. He's a business guy with Forever Communications and recently served on the Chamber of Commerce board, so again, not a huge surprise. And then there's Sue Perigen. She's serving her first term on Bowling Green City Commission and, as it so happens, is currently suing WKU, her former employer, for wrongful termination on the basis of age and sex discrimination. That's right, Commissioner Perigen, who just really can't get behind protections for LGBTQ individuals, obviously believes that discrimination is real and that legal recourse is important. Again, here's Dr. Minter. In Bowling Green, we have a local human rights commission, so they enforce the civil rights laws. So, for example, um, as a woman, if I had an issue with being denied housing because I was a woman or because of ageism, then I could go to the local Human Rights Commission and they would bring an action on my behalf. But they can't do that for members of our LGBTQ community right now. We seek to change that. So at its basic level, this simply expands the protected categories. Okay, so back to City Hall. The ordinance was set for discussion two weeks later, and no one was terribly surprised. When Mayor Wilkerson and Commissioner Denning made it downstairs to the city hall foyer, they quickly scurried away. Commissioner Nash, however, was greeted by hundreds of supporters of Bowling Green Fairness. It's true that the ordinance was tabled for discussion, but I don't want to underplay the true victory here. Bowling Green Fairness won the support of a sitting commissioner. That's never happened in Bowling Green before. Thank you all very much. Thank you for, thank you for your personal leadership on this issue. I, I have told Patty Minter, it feels uncomfortable to stand in front of you and be applauded. It feels, it feels uncomfortable because all I'm trying to do is ensure civil rights for all people. It, it is. Yes. It is you, the citizens of Bowling Green, who deserve the applause for continuing to fight uh, the good fight for as long as the good fight takes us to win. Thank you all very much. I caught up with Commissioner Slim Nash. As, as I hope any person does, I've evolved over the years. 
I, I began to have more understanding and more education related to the ways people of the LGBT community are di discriminated against. There are parallels between the civil rights movement uh, of the 60s and the LGBT movement of 2017. But the difference is, the, the, the fundamental difference that I think makes it different for a lot of people is you could see the discrimination in the civil rights movement. This discrimination is much more subtle and it's much more behind uh, uh, the scenes, so to speak. And so uh, it, it is my hope that if I can be educated on it and if I can come uh, to a more enlightened conclusion, uh, other members of the Bowling Green City Commission can do so as well. What role do you think the community has played in your decision? <laughs> uh, the, the role the community has played has been, has been tremendous. The education that I talked about came from members of the community. I've met with numerous people who are members of the LGBT community or have family members or friends who are members of the LGBT community and just their willingness to be so vulnerable for the benefit of my own education has been tremendous. But to see a crowd like this at a Bowling Green City Commission meeting uh, is just really unbelievable. You know, we generally have uh, five to 15 people that are there, but the idea that the chamber was packed, the, the lobby was packed and people are standing outside the building and all they wanted was to be heard on the issue and the fact that no other member of the commission could offer a second on the ordinance is disappointing. So what's next? Well, uh, under the Bowling Green City Commission rules, uh, we have something called a working meeting. It is a non-binding, non-voting meeting, but it allows for input from the community and the Board of Commissioners will be present. That'll occur on March the 7th, and I'm hopeful that we can have at least a portion of the discussion that I hope that we would have tonight. As long as discrimination exists, we can't rest. And if there's one message I'd like to get out to the City Commission, it is that we can do it now, or we can do it later, but we're going to do it. And one day, I think even they will look back and say, what took us so long? To paraphrase Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., how long? Not long. I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow or not, but I know it's going to happen, and I know that we're going to stay with it until it does. Way down in Bowling Green, prettiest girls I've ever seen. A man in Kentucky sure is lucky to love down in Bowling Green. Bye -bye. That was Dr. Patty Minter in Bowling Green, Kentucky. When this show aired live on Lexington Community Radio, the City Commission in Bowling Green was hours away from that discussion meeting. Of course, again, hundreds of supporters of fairness showed up, and this time they were even louder. The City Commissioners had to listen. I caught up with James Line, who we heard from earlier, to get his take on that evening. Hello, how are you? I'm doing good. Doing well. So I, I haven't really talked to anyone um, about how it went Tuesday. Can you give me sort of a Cliff Cliff's Notes version of what all happened? Sure. Uh, residents of the Bowling Green community on both sides who came forward and shared their thoughts. I think it was over um, 60 people who came forward and spoke. It was, I think it was close to 70, actually. And, um, and most of them... 
uh, were in favor of fairness. Um, I think there were about a dozen who were opposed to it. They were uh, mostly all from one church, so they, brought, they, were, they came in on a bus. And it was actually kind of interesting because the fairness campaign had only officially designated three official speakers to, speak to the commission. And so all the other 50-some uh, speakers were simply that were like spontaneous. And so it was just people signing up to speak and speaking about why they uh, believe that a fairness ordinance is right for Bowling Green. Wow. Do you, how long How long did that go on? <laughs> um, it was probably close to four hours. Wow. Yeah. Did you get a sense that, like, the city commission, uh, like, the commissioners were sort of like, oh, shit, what What did we get ourselves <laughs> into? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they were expecting that many people. I mean, I, 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 I think they, I mean, they knew from the previous meeting that a lot of people were going to come out and support, but I don't know if they expected that many people to sign up and speak. And so I know I was number 28. <laughs> and so I, I know when I was speaking, they looked kind of haggard and were just sort of like, oh my God. <laughs> um, so by the, by the 69th speaker, I think this is the last one, uh, but it's by number 69, I think they were probably a little bit worn out. And, they, and toward the end, uh, one of the commissioners, Rick Williams, said, thank you, we are listening. And then uh, the mayor sort of said the same thing, but also indicated that it wouldn't be brought up again. And he sort of suggested that, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's not going to help you keep coming here and talking, <laughs> which, of course, the, the, the fairness campaign, of course, is not uh, is not going to be backing down. And there was a sort of an impromptu rally at, on the steps of City Hall afterward, and uh, that was the, the main uh, sort of feeling that um, this is just the beginning and it's not over, and I don't know if there's any doubt that uh, most of the commissioners are adamantly opposed to uh, non-discrimination protections for LGBT people, which is really disappointing, but it's not surprising at this point. Uh, we, we want to keep this issue um, alive and keep it relevant and make sure that uh, there's no sort of indication that we're going away. Wow. It is astounding to me that you could have that many folks from the community show up in support of something and the uh, elected officials are still so just doubling down on refusing to listen. That is astounding to me. Yeah, definitely. And there were some really powerful moments. Um, there were some mothers who talked about their um, their children being gay and, and how that has, you know, sort of enlightened their own sort of experience, you know, their own perspective on things and how, you know, they sort of watch their own children sort of make this journey and, and go through life while dealing with the kind of persecution that goes along with um, being in, the, in that minority. Uh, there were trans people who spoke about their experiences. Uh, there's even a girl who came out as bisexual in her speech to the city commission. Um, and it was a completely impromptu, spontaneous thing. She was one of like, the 50 people who just kind of signed up just because she wanted to speak. And so it was really, really powerful. And um, just, just that, like the overwhelming uh, number of people who came forward you know, who were not, like, scheduled to speak or hadn't written anything down, who just came forward and, and talked about their own experiences and their own, um, you know, beliefs straight from the heart was really, really empowering. Okay, so it's that was um, uh, less than a week ago, and now, what, you have another Bowling Green Fairness meeting today, you said? Yeah, we have our monthly meeting uh, in a few minutes, and um, and we have a very month, and right now, um, because it's obviously you know, not going to be happening anytime soon. Our main focus is sort of planning for the long haul and sort of building out um, some long-term long-term plans uh, while also thinking about you know, ways we can be engaged in next year's uh, election 
uh, which will obviously be very important to changing the political reality uh, in Bowling Green at the moment. So I think that really underscores the need for um, citizens in Bowling Green to really turn out to vote and be very aware of who they're voting for and what kind of policies they do or do not support, um, because the only way that realistically, you know, given the circumstances right now, the only way this will ever pass is if um, we have commissioners on the city commission who, um, uh, who are supportive of uh, fairness. That was James Line in Bowling Green. Uh, When we come back, we'll hear from Austin Gaffney, who has stories from a few towns yet smaller than Bowling Green, who have great success with the passage of their local fairness ordinances. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Ben Kickert from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Have you ever dreamed of joining KFTC as a career? Want to learn the ropes of community organization and activism? KFTC is launching a new Organizer Apprentice program this spring, and we want you to be a part of it. Organizer Apprentices will help expand the reach of our community organizing all across the Commonwealth, train new organizers and basic and advanced organizing skills, train emerging grassroots leaders, and grow the capacity of KFTC, our allies, and our active communities or constituencies during this critical juncture in history. Apply today at kftc.org jobs. Welcome back to Power to the People on Lexington Community Radio. This week, you're with Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, and if you're just joining us, we're talking this hour about the movement for fairness in Kentucky, or equality for the LGBTQ community. We just heard from organizers in Bowling Green, and now we're headed east to a small town famous for this sort of thing. Austin Gaffney brings us the story. I got well, what's that song in the uh, best little whorehouse? Do a little sidestep? Yeah. You know, that's what this government has been doing for a while. In order to show how the ordinances function, we wanted to talk to the two smallest towns in Kentucky to pass non-discrimination measures, Vicko and Midway. Vicko is a tiny town in Perry County just east of Hazard. The hamlet of just 334 people gained fame in early 2013 when it reportedly became the smallest town in America to outlaw discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Their mayor, Johnny Cummings, gained fame after appearing on the Colbert Report segment, People Who Are Destroying America, and doing interviews for features in the LA Times, the New York Times, and Rolling Stone magazine. Cummings says there are well over a thousand people living in the hills surrounding Vico who use the city post office, and Cummings is adamant that he cares about everyone in eastern Kentucky, not just the population in Vico's census. Here's Cummings. I'm Johnny Cummings. I'm the mayor of Vico, you know, and also I'm a hairdresser, so, you know, some, something's got to pay the bills. Do you think passing the ordinance changed the community at all initially before this last election? Well, you know, it brought more people in, more interest in, you know, the kids got a playground because uh, Max, the creator of the Will and Grace show, you know, donated. Do you remember what the opposition, the reason for the opposition? 
Oh, well, you know, and me and him still great friends. Mm -hmm. It was mainly that he was, you know, he had just got saved in church and mm -hmm. he had different convictions mm -hmm. and stuff. And, you know, he says, we wouldn't do any of this stuff anyway, so why do we need this law? And it was just a, conf a personal conflict inside mm -hmm. himself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I respect that. No, everyone doesn't have to agree with everyone. And I like other viewpoints. And so, you know, we're great friends and we still work together. What do you think passing the ordinance has done for, like, all the pu publicity you've gotten for passing the ordin mm -hmm. ordinance? Do you think that's changed any stereotypes for how people look at Kentucky, especially the Appalachian region of Kentucky? From everybody that's contacted yeah, me like over the smart. internet, I mean, I think it really, you know, because we was the last place in the world that people thought that we should be okay with with all this. But you know, like in a, like a track, and they could come in, and you know, we've had different productions come in and spend weeks and days, and they said we don't get it, and I'm going, well, you don't understand. Mm -hmm. We are such a small town that you may not agree with everybody in the town, but you all have to look at each other every every day, you know. So, you know, you work it out. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I think's wrong with this new political thing. They're not trying to help work. To, you gotta work with each other, you know, and Vico does a great job on that. Don't you think, Cody? Now I should probably set the stage for Cody Couch, a 25-year-old city councilman. He's got a big beard and black t-shirt on with wide gauges in his ears. He works at the bar and restaurant where I met Cummings, serving drinks and frying food and washing windows. If you hear some squeaks, that's the UK Wildcats basketball game playing in the background. Here's Couch talking about Vico's Fairness Ordinance. Well, I think, like, some people liked it and some people hated it. Obviously, you know, nobody expected it. Nobody expected it from Vico. It's like we were just this little small town and they thought that would be the last place that would pass something like that. But I think the publicity that it got has been very positive because people are like, hey, you know, they see, I think when people see other small towns passing these things, you know, it may give other mayors courage to, to do something like that. You know, they're like, hey, this, this happened here and it's a good thing and maybe we could do something like this. But, I mean... As far as the people that were from around here, you know, I, I grew up in Vico, and like some people hate, oh God, we, you know, we let them gay people, you know, it, you hear that anywhere, but uh, even though it, it brought some negative things, I think overall it was a positive, I mean, of course, yeah. it, you know, I think it had a positive effect, and since it's happened, you know, people, have, the people from Vico are more and more, you know, now it's just like, it's not a big deal to regular. me. Regular. Yeah, it's regular. What did you think when you first heard about it? I loved it. I, I loved that my little town was doing something progressive. You know, mm -hmm. I love to hear, you know, I, it made me proud to be from Vico. We're going to transition here to Midway, a small town with about 1,600 residents in the horse and bourbon country of Woodford County. Midway is about two hours northwest of Vico and the eighth city in Kentucky to pass an ordinance. Pretty soon in our story, you'll be able to see how Vico served as an inspiration for fairness ordinances in Woodford. However, instead of being a mono-economy like Vico, whose town name is based on an acronym for the Virginia Iron Coal and Coke Company, Midway's flourishing economy tells a different story. Grayson Vandegrift, Mayor of Midway. And did you know about fairness ordinances before you ran for mayor? Or how did you learn? 
No, that's a good question. Actually, I had heard about them. Um, and I remember hearing about when Frankfurt passed theirs, I guess in 2013, and it, and, it, and it piqued my interest for a little bit, but it kind of, I wasn't quite sure what they were. Like a lot of people, I assumed that yeah. those types of protections already existed. And a lot of people assume that. But uh, the way I really became more aware of it, and I, when I ran for mayor, I didn't have it. It wasn't on my radar, really. It wasn't anything I was thinking about. But uh, not even, a, you know, three weeks into my term, I was approached by the uh, Woodford County Human Rights Commission. And they were the ones that, you know, brought it to my attention, and they had supported it and wanted to see it happen in all over Woodford County. Um, they contacted the three executives in the county, and, uh, you know, honestly, I just knew then that... Uh, if it was going to happen in Woodford County, it was going to have to be Midway first, you know, the others. I should probably bring up here the noises you hear in the background. Those are bakers shuffling pans and cookie trays around. We're at Midway Bakery, a coffee shop converted from an old schoolhouse near the historic downtown. If you haven't been there, this is KFTC's official plug. You could go there just for the smells. Anyway, we're also lucky enough to talk to the secretary of the Woodford County Human Rights Commission, Dan Brown, in a much quieter public library. Here he is. My name is Daniel Brown and I serve on the Woodford County Versailles Midway Human Rights Commission and I've been a member since uh, November of uh, 2013 and I currently serve as secretary of that commission but I'm a retired elementary teacher and I'm an avid volunteer here in Woodford County. The Human Rights Commission in Woodford County was established with an interlocal agreement between Midway Versailles and Woodford County. It was established to help support and protect uh, civil rights. It came after the Civil Rights Act in Kentucky. And so it, it does pro the basic protections that the Civil Rights Act uh, does. We take complaints, we're involved in projects. We investigate in the community ways that we can promote peace and level the playing field for, uh, for kids in schools. Uh, and we also hear uh, concerns of, of individuals in the community okay. about discrimination. Helen Wrench is cited by both Brown and Vandegriff as a Midway citizen who kept pushing to bring fairness ordinances into public discussion. Later in our interview, Brown referred to her as a snapping turtle. I like to say sometimes she was like a little snapping turtle in a good way, not a bad way. Helen Helen really has strong convictions, and when she gets a hold of something she believes in strongly, she grabs hold of it, and she doesn't let go. Now, she's not in your face kind of relentless. She's a quiet kind of relentless that goes back and goes back and goes back. So I just wanted to say, wherever you are, Helen, keep fighting the good fight. Now, back to Brown. Helen Wrench, who happens to be a Midway citizen, continuously brought the idea of a fairness ordinance to the Human Rights Commission. So when I joined in November of 2013, I wasn't aware that she had already brought that concept several times to the Human Rights Commission. But anyway, Helen had heard of VICO and had done a little research about VICO. Uh, and she said if VICO, Kentucky, can have a fairness ordinance, then Woodford County and Versailles and Midway could have a fairness ordinance. And so, uh, I like to say she, she's the matriarch of the Fairness Ordinance in Woodford County because she continuously brought the concept back to the Human Rights Commission over and over and over again until we began to hear her. Helen wasn't the only power female to push forward a Fairness Ordinance from backstage. Vandegrift spoke about his wife as a major influence in leading Midway to adopt the ordinance. I had just gotten into office. I remember got, getting good advice from people like, you get your feet wet, don't rock the boat for a few months, you know, <laughs> here I am. And then they're saying, well, he didn't listen to my advice at all. Um, I didn't get into this to 
play typical politics, which is to kind of get in the, in the most center part you can get and try to please everybody. I just figured if you're going to do something, you're going to do something right and do what you think is right. And, and at least you can live with yourself at the end of the day. And I remember my wife, when I was sort of starting to waver and, and let, let, let the politics kind of get in my head, she just basically just summed it up and said, do you think it's the right thing to do? And I said, yes. She said, do you, do you want to do it? And I said, yes. And she said, well, then what are you waiting for? So I guess the rest is history. But um, I felt like Midway was ready for it. I felt like it was the right thing to do. And I, and I think it was the right thing to do. And as it turns out, Midway was ready for it. And I think it's a source of pride for people. It's not talked about on the street that much. You know, it's just, it, it's, it's the law here. And, and um, I think most people are happy with it. I think a lot of people probably uh, wouldn't put it that way, but they don't have a problem with it. It doesn't affect them, you know? I mean, a lot, a lot of people say that. It doesn't affect me. I don't care what, you know, what you do. You're just not gonna make everybody happy no matter how hard you try. You just have to hope that, you know, history will look back on it kindly. And, you know, I'm sure it will. Although Vandegrift wanted to make a better Midway and Kentucky, as a straight white male, he was already a protected class. I asked him if he heard many complaints about discrimination in Midway before passing the ordinance. You don't hear about a lot of complaints, but the truth is you don't hear about a lot of civil rights complaints from all the protected classes. They're, they're actually, you know, um, incredibly important protections, but I think you don't actually get a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of complaints. Um, I think it's, I think we figured out for Midway, on average, we would have a complaint like one every nine years, and that's for any civil rights protection. Um, so that doesn't mean that discrimination doesn't happen more often than that. It, it probably does. Um, in fact, I'm certain that it does. I think it's just under, underreported. I think that's the case with um, the LGBT movement. I think it's. I think the, the complaints are underreported because you know a lot of people. You know, there's, there's not a protection there yet, so they don't feel like they really can go anywhere. And if somebody before we passed our ordinance, if somebody anywhere in Woodford County came and uh, made a complaint to the Human Rights Commission, they really couldn't do anything about it. They, they had no no recourse for it. Although Midway passed a fairness ordinance, Versailles, the county seat of Woodford, has not. Versailles City Council voted on the measure in 2016, but it lost in a 2-4 vote. One council person claimed fairness should be a state issue, not a local one. Brown quoted another council person as saying they would not and could not vote for the ordinance because they wanted to go to heaven. Brown's a lifelong Christian who attends church and volunteers for his congregation, and I think religious reasons especially irk him. Woodford County is unwilling to pass a county-wide ordinance until Versailles adopts one. Brown lives in Nunsuch, a hamlet 12 miles south of Versailles, and therefore has no fairness ordinance to protect him until the county passes one. I asked Brown about what he goes through in his everyday life as a gay man in Woodford County. And, and I'll tell you, my husband and I, when we talk about going to dinner, we'll say, let's go to Midway, because we know we're welcomed and, and it's an open community and we can be who we are there. Uh, although we're not, uh, we're, we're, we've been together about 33 years. So we're not the kind of couple that we, you know, because we've lived through a lot of uh, being hidden over the years just to be able to survive. We're not the kind of couple that would hold hands or kiss in public. But we, we feel very comfortable in Midway. And, and we have friends who feel very comfortable in Midway. I think diversity and inclusion in any community is a positive mm -hmm. uh, thing. And, mm -hmm. uh, the more diversity you have, I think, the stronger a community is, and the more inclusive you are, the stronger a community is. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't see it as a as a point of contention. Uh, uh, 
are I, I don't think it I don't think it should be controversial at all. You know, when the Civil Rights Act was established, the word sex is one of one of the areas that, that you can be discriminated against. But that was in such a time where the LGBT community was pretty much invisible and hidden. And so people didn't really think about sexual orientation and gender gender identity as being part of of of, of sex of a sex protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think that's a new concept for for a lot of people. And some people think that the LGBT community is protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, we're not unless you live in one of those cities or counties in Jefferson County or Fayette County mm-hmm. where there is a fairness ordinance. Although Brown was there as a representative of the Woodford County Commission, our conversation turned pretty personal. I want to be clear here that he's no longer speaking as a representative of the commission. Instead, he was generous enough to talk to me near the end about how a fairness ordinance in Woodford County would impact his own life. The print shop could decide not to print that brochure and there would be no recourse for me. Now, I could go to the State Human Rights Commission or the local Human Rights Commission, but there would, there, I mean, and I'm sure that both of those commissions would listen and, and be supportive, but there would be no recourse. Uh, that business would be totally within their rights to refuse to print that furnace ordinance brochure. And the same with the florist or the mm-hmm. or a restaurant? Yes. Okay, even without the religious freedom bill that they're trying to pass right now? Even without the religious freedom bill. I talked to Michael Aldridge, director of Kentucky's ACLU, about the danger of House Bill 105, the religious freedom bill we discussed earlier, to see whether he thinks a statewide renewal of, quote, religious freedom would take away fairness ordinances. I'm quoting him here. Quote, we think it would basically null and void local ordinances. All the hard work that's gone on for 20 years to build these protections in communities willing to take the extra step the state won't take yet, all would be undone with a measure like 105, end quote. I talked to Aldridge at an ACLU event co-sponsored with the Kentucky Competitive Workforce Coalition, a statewide group of over 200 businesses, including small, locally-owned businesses and large Fortune 500 companies like PNC Bank, UPS, Humana, and Brown Foreman Corporation. The business leaders each have their own anti-discrimination policy, but they're also calling for a statewide fairness law to include LGBT Kentuckians in discrimination protections. I don't have any additional time to talk to them in this segment, but I encourage you, if you're interested, to look them up. But at this event, Vandegrift gave a speech about the importance of the ordinance to Midway's economic development. So I want to play a section of that before we close out. Prior to passing our ordinance, which began and remained a grassroots effort, we did have opposition to the bill. Some of it was organized, some of it was not. Many of them said that this type of ordinance would open our businesses up to rational lawsuits that would either drive them out of business or drive them out of town. They also said that prospective employers would not come to our side. Vandegrift told his audience that when they passed their fairness ordinance in June of 2015, Midway was badly in need of jobs. But by October of 2015, they announced their first large industrial client, an auto parts manufacturer, and less than a year later, they announced the arrival of an educational supplies company called Landmark Learning. Together, these corporations will provide at least 490 new jobs in Midway. We are not the only positive example of fairness ordinance in Kentucky, we're just the latest. Other cities have also experienced economic success after passing the fairness ordinance, so let me be the first to say this, though I won't be the last. The argument as to whether fairness laws are bad for business is over. 
And with every new job we create, and every business that opens its doors, and every person that feels that they and their loved ones are welcome, we will continue to show that fairness is good for business. Thank you all very much. Dicko had a bit of a different take on whether or not their fairness ordinance was good for business, which I think is important to play here. Midway and Vico have very different histories of economic development that are important to contrast when trying to see the bigger picture of how fairness ordinances can help communities. So here's Cummings one last time. Oh, and the sound of ice clinking in my water glass. And I was wondering if you've seen anything in Vico that shows that the fairness ordinance has been good for Vico's business, or at least that it hasn't hurt Vico's business. It's it's never hurt anything. Yeah. And it's hard, you know, like um, the the people from Georgetown contacted me wanting statistics on how it helped, and and I try to explain that with the coal industry going down at the same time, that you you can't really get a decent statistics in this area whereas Georgetown and uh, Midway and everybody you know they can they can do more you know because they're not relying just on one industry and that's what's really hard with Eastern Kentucky we was just mainly you know relying because you know like they said when the coal business started on them they said every coal miner that lost their job it would affect 10 other people mm-hmm. and and a lot of people didn't understand that at the time but you know that coal miners money goes into all these other businesses and so it's you know we don't really have any good statistics that we can show you but you know we got mm-hmm. heart and concern and and I think you know and that's what I explained in to, you know to my friends that was working on Georgetown's is that it opens up new doors and new windows from places you would never think of and and the people that will come in and but the main thing and the most fabulous thing is i found with passing the furnace ordinance was the people that contacted me that had lived in that this area but where they were homosexual or transgender or whatever mm-hmm. they felt uncomfortable and 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 not really comfortable oh, always that you know they have moved and, you know and yeah. we've lost a lot of beautiful intelligent people that could have made this community a whole lot better but they just couldn't stay here at that mm-hmm. time but you know things like this will make people feel safer more comfortable and more their self and 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 the more diverse groups of people with all these different beautiful ideas that you can get in one community you know we could make America great again. <laughs> That's a better way to think about making America great again. <laughs> I could end here. The arguments of Vico and Midway seem good enough, but I want to include one last story from Dan Brown. Well, with the Human Rights Commission, uh, I was recently, uh, I recently asked to be appointed the liaison between the Woodford County High School Gay Straight Alliance Club mm-hmm. and the Human Rights Commission. Uh, and so I went... I was in, I made contact with the, the teacher sponsor who happened to be a friend of a friend. But anyway, I went to that meeting and uh, I talked a little bit about the Human Rights Commission. And then at the next meeting, I talked a little bit about the Fairness Coalition. And that group has really come alive in Woodford County. They have 35 kids only because the room will hold 35 students. And there's always a waiting list. Uh, and they've gotten more and more active and uh, more and more out in the community. And uh, at Christmas, 
they participated in a Humane Society volunteer event that I helped organize at Kroger, passing out wish lists. And just this past uh, week, they decided to collect uh, food for the backpack program for Simmons Elementary. Uh, and so they're beginning to volunteer and become more visible in the community. But they've been a great support uh, for one another. One of their goals, I think, for this next year is actually to go to the LGBT uh, lobbying and rally in Frankfurt in February. They've kind of set that as an informal goal to work towards that. Uh, they attend coalition meetings. Uh, but it, that's been so motivating and energizing for me to be in a room full of 35 and they're not all lesbian and gay and transgender uh, they're just they're just uh, kids who love each other and support each other and want each other to be safe and who who they are but one of those students uh, Ellington King approached the uh, principals of Woodford County High School about safe zone training and safe zone training is uh, training to establish rooms in the school where LGBT kids can go if they feel unsafe or bullied, harassed, or if they have some kind of issue. Uh, I know you know about the suicide rate of the LGBT community, especially in adolescence. It's, it's, it's really high. And so uh, the administration listened to her, but they didn't act on that. Well, Ellington came to the Human Rights Commission, and so we wrote a letter in support of. And as a result of that, although it wasn't called Safe Zone Training, it was called Equality Equity Training. Uh, it was done by uh, Paul, uh, Mr. Polston out of the UK office, LGBT uh, support offices, uh, just recently. So that's a, an example of a student stepping forward to make a difference in Woodford County and in the school. Uh, it, it's just a wonder. I can't say enough about those kids. When I, when I go to their meetings, and I'm going to one next Tuesday, uh, when I go to their meetings and I, and I sit and look out, my, my eyes often fill with tears uh, because I see our future and it's bright. It's a really bright future. Thanks so much to Dan Brown, Grayson Vandegrift, Johnny Cummings, and Cody Couch for sharing their stories. That's Austin Gaffney, a producer on our show. That about wraps up our show, but before we go, a few quick updates from the Central Kentucky chapter of Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. First, not sure if you've heard, but there is a lot of stuff going down in our state capitol this month, and we are spending a lot of time in Frankfurt. At KFTC, we believe it's important to show up. So if you're interested in joining us for a lobby day at the Capitol, please, we'd love to have you. Email our chapter organizer, Beth Howard, for more information. You can reach her at bethhoward at kftc.org. KFTC is also participating in a really exciting event coming up in a week or so. It's called On the Table. It's a one-day opportunity to gather all across Lexington and talk about the issues, big and small, that impact our quality of life and that of the city. How did you get to Lexington? Why do you stay? And what do you want for the future? How do we build and maintain the neighborhoods and city we desire? When we have a chance to talk about our experiences in this town and hear others, we connect and learn about what matters. Join the Central Kentucky Chapter of Kentuckians for the Commonwealth for our on-the-table potluck to share our vision for Lexington and to build relationships with other CKY KFTC members. You can contact Beth Howard to RSVP. Again, that's Beth Howard at KFTC.org. 
or at 386-299-2921 to get the address to our potluck at my house. It'll be a really good time. CKYKFTC is also partnering with the Lexington chapter of the NAACP to co-host tables. Check out their event and you can join the CKYKFTC event there too. That's on Facebook. Just search Central Kentucky Chapter of Kentucky for the Commonwealth. Also coming up, of course, is our monthly chapter meeting, which is held every third Thursday of the month at the Episcopal Mission House in Lexington. We'll be there March 16th from 7 to 9 p.m. For our March meeting, we will focus on our tax justice campaign, the special session the governor is calling this summer to change our tax code, and how we will defend our publicly funded services. We will also hear updates and opportunities to be involved in our current local campaigns, including our participation in the Lexington visioning process on the table, our local clean energy work team, and our campaign for more accountability in the 6th Congressional District. Come prepared to listen, learn, and share about how we can build a brighter future for Kentucky. All are welcome to attend if you don't want to miss it. After that weekend, we're participating in something a little special. During the recent congressional races, Kentucky's elected delegates held no publicly accessible events in the central Kentucky and Lexington area, one of their biggest constituent areas. So in response, we are participating in a town hall in Lexington and inviting Senators Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul and Congressman Andy Barr to face us, their constituents, and hear our concerns. Of course, if they decline to attend, they'll be replaced with empty suits and our voices will still be heard. Join us Saturday, March 18th at 10 a.m. at the Kentucky Theater. Should be a blast. That about wraps up our show. Thanks, as always, to Lexington Community Radio for support and our partnering organizations in the Power to the People Coalition. Power to the People is produced by myself, Meredith Wadlington, and Austin Gaffney with the help of Thomas Mosley. This week, of course, you've been hanging out with Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. Next week on Power to the People, you'll be with the Kentucky Student Environmental Coalition. You don't want to miss it. See you then.